Well, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Midwest Whitetail After Hours podcast. We're coming at you with episode two today. And before we get to that, jumping back to episode one with Owen and the Loch Ness story from all of us in Midwest Whitetail. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch the podcast for all the overwhelming comments of positivity. Jumping to the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed that. You know, we have gotten more comments than probably on any other episode. Congratulating Owen. And from all of us, it just it really means a lot when you guys take the time to do that. Let's us know that we're doing things right. You know, we're always open to any feedback that you can send our way. And big shout out to Gavin Caterba. He's our lead editor here at Midwest Whitetails. So, you know, he's the one bringing you Chasing November. He's the one bringing those Monday shows your way. And he really works his tail off for us here and everybody that enjoys a Midwest Whitetail product. So on episode two, though, we're going to be joining Gavin in the hunting scenario. You know, on episode one, we talked about a successful story. Today, we're going to be talking about one that maybe didn't end the way that we had hoped. Gavin's been busting his tail on public land, and he finally got a shot at a really big deer that he's been hunting all season. So we're going to dive into what his setup was, what his mindset was that found him in that spot for a shot opportunity on that October 14th cold front. And then finally, all of his decision making and thought process following the shot. I think there's a lot to unpack. I hope you guys have questions. If you have them, please drop them in the comments and we'll try to answer them. And if there's anything you want us to cover on upcoming podcasts, please let us know. But before we get to the podcast, one quick reminder, you can find our content on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, Midwest Whitetail Daily Channel, Midwest Whitetail Regional, and the Midwest Whitetail platform that you're watching this podcast on. So hope you guys enjoy this one. Appreciate you tuning in. Let's get to that intro. And then following that, we're going to jump right into the action. We are at October 20th. We got Gavin Caterba here. Mike Reed is back from the mountains. And Owen, you look like you're recording a mixtape. Oh, yeah. I'm ready today, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. New school. <laughs> I love it. I'm jealous. Yeah. So what's it been like since you saw the episode? Now that it's kind of all settling in, are you still, does it still feel maybe not real? Cloud nine, is that a good example, a good term? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think definitely cloud nine. I mean, you know, I've gotten just so much feedback that that's been probably the biggest, you know, thing to get used to. So many people reaching out to me, not used to that, but it's been really cool. And like I said, I mean, it's just hard to come down off cloud nine, you know, Yeah, uh, never had that before. So it's been fun. Yeah. I mean, between the last podcast that we did, I mean, that, this is a great opportunity from all of us. Thank you so much for, you know, the kind words you sent Owen's way for the, you know, just engaging on the episode, on this, you know, like I said, the previous podcast, all the blogs, I mean, you guys make this possible. So, I mean, it's uh, I, just from a distance, like I felt super happy and positive and excited with how much outpouring support, you know, it's kind of like I told you, it's just like, you know, you're the guy. You're so, you're so easy to root for. And now it's, you know, everybody's asking the big question, what's next? Because yeah, you know, I'm in the woods, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I haven't been out since. I've been just kind of monitoring trail cameras, you know, checking SD cards and trying to find that next buck that I want to chase. And uh, I've got one in mind that uh, is just a real nice eight. It's kind of tripping my trigger. So I've been just kind of trying to watch him and seeing when he's going to get close to daylight, you know, where he's at right now and when he's moving. I think I'd have to get closer to his bedroom in order to catch him. So 
I, I know I talked about this was a couple of weeks ago on the main show that, you know, my success rates went way up when I started hunting less and just really picking my spots. Like I feel like it's high odds day and then you go on that day, you know? Yeah. And so that's where I'm at right now. Just looking at this next cold front coming. Mike, how you been? Thank you yeah, I'm doing time. well. It's good to be back. I hunted tonight. It's the first time in a week or more, eight, nine days. I mean, brother got married. It was a fun trip, quick trip, four day trip out, out West. Took the kids to the Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, you know, got to see all the family. It was a great time. Nobody got hurt, even though they tried, you know, so it was, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. We rented a dinger of an RV and rattled down the road and uh, just good, good family fun. And uh, certainly good to get back, busy at work, things going a little crazy everywhere. But I feel like uh, just in time today, got everything settled down and ready to put some time in the tree. Um, had a nice hunt today, saw Gavin and I went sit out and saw 20, 20 deer or so, so it was nice. All in the last hour, good activity, no mature bucks, but um, just fun to be out, beautiful weather, and looking forward to this front in the end of October. Yeah. So speaking of cold fronts, you know, obviously Mike just talked about that he was out west. Owen's been trying to find a target. Uh, what we're going to talk about on this episode is going to be the previous cold front that blew through Iowa, which was actually October 14th, middle of the October lull and, you know, opening day of muzzleloader season. A lot of hunters had some success, but Gavin, you know, he's got a really good story to share with us. Last week we talked about a story that had 100% success. This week we're going to talk about one that was 99% there. You know, I think Gavin, you know, before we dive into what actually occurred you know give us a little bit of background public land hunting why'd you do it how was that you know where did you start out in ohio because i know we know kind of your background but you know maybe folks who have never heard of you you know gavin's our lead editor every episode you're watching on monday he is the one putting in all the time you know blood sweat and tears to create those best stories possible so big shout out to gavin before we dive into the you know hunting side of this but uh floor is yours my friend tell us about yes this. So basically I came out here in 2021 as an intern and um, been doing this ever since. I, I love this job. I mean, it's a blessing getting to do this, but you know, I'm, I'm a relatively new bow hunter in, in terms of I haven't been doing it for my entire life. I've really started doing it when I was 18, getting into college, um, got my first bow when I was 18. And so it just kind of took off from there, but um, going to college, you know, i I could have had some opportunities to just do some door knocking and everything, but there was public land real close within 20 minutes of, of school. And so between classes and stuff and, you know, kind of, if I'm being honest, molding my schedule so that I could have, you know, those uh, a free morning or whatever, you know, um, you know, being able to still get out and do some hunting and, uh, you know, found, like I said, some good public spots and quickly found out through, you know, lots of trial and error of learning the ropes of hunting and everything that there were big deer out there and, and a few of them. And so I, I hunted those spots a lot because I was, you know, scouting and, and, uh, learning these pieces as I was, as I was going. So it, um, you know, had lots of great encounters, ended up shooting one in 2019, uh, my senior year of college out there. And that was a big accomplishment for me. It's it not a big deer by any means, but, um, to shoot one on public land and, do it yourself type thing. It's, it was, it was pretty awesome for, for me, you know, so 
Uh, fast forward to 2021, I, uh, like I said, got the internship here and moved out here. And long story short, started, we did a little bit of hunting uh, that year as, as uh, interns, just between, you know, getting work done and was able to slip out a few times. And Ethan Stubbs and I, he was another intern with, with me. Um, he and I hunted that one morning, I think it was November 7th, if I'm remembering correctly, and had a great encounter with uh, a deer on a piece of public that we had scouted over the summer. And um, he was at 25 yards, but we kind of set up poorly. And, you know, at the end of the day, weren't able to get a shot off at him. But he was uh, he was a great deer, like I said. And then, um, you know, from there got hired on full time and kind of stuck with, you know, knowing that that public was full of deer that I, I had gotten plenty of other good deer on there, um, that it was a good spot. So I stuck with that, found another piece that was, um, you know, a similar type piece as far as the layout, it's river bottom type ground and, um, you know, thick, nasty stuff, lots of different, um, habitat types and lots of, lots of diversity and things like that. So, um, two, two main public pieces that I hunt. And then, you know, just between learning or meeting new people around was able to get secure some permission. So I have two permission farms basically, and two pieces of public land that I hunt anyway. So that kind of brings us up to speed here. We had, of course, that big encounter with that big deer last year, uh, still, still kind of speechless about that one. I mean, it's, it's, still a heartbreaker in the fact that he was within bow range for about 20 minutes or so. And with it being so thick in that area, partially because of that, partially because I was in a tree saddle, um, you know, I, I probably would have been set up a little bit better had I been in a hang on stand in that specific location. I probably could have uh, been able to squeeze a shot through there, but just wasn't able to, didn't feel comfortable making a shot that was, you know, through brush and things like that. And just, just didn't want to, potentially injure the animal. So, um, ended up passing him and hunting all year last year after him was never able to encounter him again, but then fast forward this year, you know, had, had my sights set on these four pieces. And I was really looking forward to this year for the fact that, I mean, between moving around after college and everything, I mean, it's been a few years since I've hunted the same pieces multiple years in a row. Um, knowing the history, knowing like, deer patterns and things like that. Um, it's nice. It was nice going into this year. It gave, gave me that little bit of extra confidence going into this year that, you know, I, I had a, a pretty good shot. And so put some cameras out, did some scouting. I mean, I was doing chase in November all summer. And, and so didn't really get to do a ton of just scouting throughout the entire off season, but did a little bit, got some cameras hung. And the nice thing was, is that I knew these areas pretty well already. So I knew, boom, I, I wanted to put cameras here, 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 and here and was able to be efficient from that uh, standpoint. So got cameras out, did some elk hunting in September and no sooner than I got out to Montana, um, elk hunting as in filming, not actually hunting myself, although I wish, but uh, <laughs> we were you know, out there and was starting to get pictures coming in and there was a great six by five that uh, showed up. He was actually a deer that I knew from the previous year, had gotten some pictures of him. Um, was clearly the same deer had the same little kicker off his g2 um the same right side except this year he'd gotten it, it had gotten much bigger obviously the same deer and so i was 
pretty excited about that. And he was super consistent all throughout September. I mean, there was a stretch mid-September where I was getting him, I think like nine or 10 days in a row. I mean, every night he'd come hit the scrapes and it was looking pretty, uh, pretty promising. From was that, that all daylight? Um, a few daylights here and there. I remember sending you one where, um, you know, he was in daylight at like 4 p.m., 4 or 5 p.m., and uh, I mean, I was excited. I was like, man, he's got to be betting close. And yeah. I'm sure he was in certain circumstances, maybe certain wind directions or whatnot. But, um, you know, as we got closer to October, he definitely wasn't um, super consistent in daylight. Just, I mean, probably four or five times total that I got him in daylight. Ended up, um, I think October 2nd was the first set of pictures that I got but ended up getting another six by five in there who was a little bit more mature, both was still mature deer for sure. But, you know, he was a, just a, a stud of a six by five, a, a great typical frame, a split brow and uh, just, a, just a beautiful deer and pretty much a giant for public land as far as I'm concerned, you know, so really exciting uh, to get both of those. And, uh, but otherwise I wasn't getting many pictures of, of other mature bucks on permission farms or anything like that. So going into the season was kind of setting my sights on those two, that first cold front that rolled around and like on like the sixth or the seventh or something like that, pretty similar yeah, to last year. Died. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't remember that cold front there. <laughs> yeah, there was, um, <laughs> there was a couple deer that died, you know, and, uh, I think Owen might might be able to uh remember that one but um <laughs> he's like yeah. Hell yeah um anyway so that one we we hunted that one uh a couple days in a row didn't have much action or anything and uh maybe hunted one more time after that once the weather kind of stabilized and whatever and then there was a stretch for about four or five days or whatever that i didn't hunt there was just catching up on work and things like that and between that period i didn't so we're, we're somewhere in the you know October 10th, somewhere in there. And I was not getting pictures of, of either six by five. And so, you know, going into last week's cold front, it was clear that it was going to be a good one, that big temperature drop, barometric pressure going through the roof. Um, on Saturday, the 14th is what it was going to be just climbing all day, Northwest winds, just what you, what, exactly what you asked for. Um, that I was definitely going to be hunting that day, but kind of was a little unsure about it from the fact that I hadn't been getting many pictures of these, uh, these deer in a while. So I, uh, that day I, I was kind of thinking towards hunting the hay farm just for the fact that I really hadn't, and just wanted to see what was out there. If any deer hadn't been on camera that were out there and, uh, you know, Josh actually gave me a buzz like before the hunt and he's like, so what are you doing tonight? And, uh, I talked, told him, you know, my plan was to go to the hay farm and he's like, well, man, you, you know, at the end of the day, this public land spot is one that you know really well. It's one that you have two big deer on pretty consistently. That's the PG yeah. version. Let's be real. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? so the, the reason why I was calling Gavin is because it's like, you have two bucks of a lifetime on yeah. a piece of public land. And we had talked about the night before, he was just so demoralized. And I think that that's important to kind of set the stage because, again, I think we – we know every detail to these situations, but you know, where Gavin is hunting is number one, it's like a jungle, you know? And so one of the things that he talks about is all those times that he was going in there hunting every single time he's bumping deer. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, when I called you and I was like, so what's your plan? You're like, you didn't say I'm just going to the hay farm. You're like, dude, I have literally blown up this piece of public. Mm -hmm. I've ran them out. It's over. Like it wasn't a very positive outlook, you know? And so, and I was like, why are you going to the hay farm? And you're like, well, there's these deer that weren't on camera 365 days ago that might be there tonight. And I was like, that is a dumb idea. Don't do that. <laughs> and I felt kind of bad because I was like, what do you mean? You know, because I'm like, and Gavin's being modest. These aren't just good big deer. Like, you know, they're both 160 class and above. You know, the bigger of the two might be in the 70s. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're giant deer, public, private, Iowa, Missouri. It doesn't matter where you are. And I think it, it needs to be said. It's like Gavin is modest, but you are putting yourself in a position to be on deer of this caliber year in again, year in, you know what I'm saying? So that's it, a big kudos to you, but you know, what did, what was it in the conversation that finally convinced you, I guess? I mean, cause the camera thing, I think is was something that stuck out to you. Yeah. I think, I think one of the bigger things was you were, you were saying something along the lines of like, dude, it's public land. Like anybody could go in there tonight, go into exactly where you're at and shoot that deer if he comes out or just blow it up either way. You know, at the end of the day, it's public land and anybody can access it. And so it's that, that chance that it could be, it could be ruined the next day. And so you never, you never want to just like assume that it's going to be good to go the next day. You always just want to assume that somebody's going to be in there. Somebody's going to be in there and, you know, things might change. And so that was a big thing for me. It was just like, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to sometimes go for it. So, yeah, no, I, I think that'd be cool to get your take, Mike and Owen, like you're hunting public land. How do you treat it? You know, if, if it was me answering that question, like when I predominantly hunted in 2018, 2019 public, my, my thought for, and the first off we're in Iowa, public land in Iowa, we're very aware is probably not the same situation as a Michigan or you know, a lot of states throughout the, the country, you know, there's not a lot of hunters in Iowa. There is a lot of really good, you know, well taken care of managed land in Iowa as far as our public land goes. So, you know, before anybody says this isn't like my state, we know we're very lucky to live in Iowa. Mm -hmm. But that being said, you know, to me, I feel like we might give them a little bit more credit as animals. They're still deer. Yeah. And they're still very, you know, my approach was always, what are they tolerant of? What are they used to? And more importantly, where are they going to be less tolerant of it? So that's my thought process is always like, well, I'm going to, if I want to try something, I'm going to do it because somebody else might. And if I try to treat it like a piece of, you know, potential private ground where I'm the only hunter, I think you might be, you know, beating your, yourself without even, you know, taking a shot. But Mike, I know you've hunted a ton of public land throughout the years. I don't know if my approach is, ignorant and risky but i mean you got to learn somehow right i mean public it, it's it's i mean i grew up hunting public i've been public for over a decade and uh you know you're certainly more gung-ho the younger you are and when you're first doing stuff you're you're charging in and and uh, i mean like i say you gotta learn somehow i mean i think the key is you don't miss your good opportunities like the, that ideal weather front that sort of hey that front's coming through whatever's been happening out there, most publics you sort of assume, especially the smaller ones than I have, there are a couple hundred acres, there's people going in and out of there. The deer might be a little more used to 
human intrusion and human scent and people walking around and things like that. Um, certainly there's some risk that, yeah, you blow it up. But I mean, I think if you're sitting in the middle of October and that front you've been wanting uh, for a few weeks is, is there, I mean, that's the time to go in there, obviously. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, kind of six one way, half dozen the other. I got to the point where I was trying to get into bigger publics and get far away from parking lots and get to those more isolated areas where I wasn't encountering as many people and you kind of hunt less disturbed deer. And that was how I migrated to having more success on public later. But every piece is different. I mean, there's so many factors to consider. And I think in general, you know, it's good to try stuff. And just because uh, you blew them out one day, I mean, hell, yeah. Those jungle ones are so thick. I mean, there's, there's so many factors to consider, and I think that good weather is worth going in there and trying. Owen? Uh, I'd just say that I'd, I'd probably be just a little more aggressive than what I am sometimes. I mean, I'm probably not setting out an October cold front. I mean, I'm going to be in there just because other people are going to be in there, potential to be in there and kill the buck you're after. So, you know, I'm probably going to hunt it a little harder than I normally would, and I would start out the same as, as I always have, even back 25, 30 years ago when I hunted public. I sat there with the topo map, looking it over, looking for water a lot of times. Here's a pond. They got to go around. I would do all that stuff just like that, you know, back then. And, you know, that's where I would start with access, you know, on Gavin's piece too and see if there's a good way to access it, you know. But, so I wouldn't do things a lot different. Maybe just a little more aggressive is all I would say. Yeah. And not more aggressive than what you're doing, Gavin. I'm just saying for how I normally hunt. Mm -hmm. And I, I would argue, I mean, Gavin, you're not really being that aggressive. I mean, I, I hope this doesn't sound like you're just tromping in and setting down on the ground. I mean, like, this sounds great. Hope he walks by. You know, like, <laughs> you, you know, I, I think that, you know, this is what, year three on this piece. You know, you're yeah, correct, yeah. Being familiar. You know, you're not dealing with a lot of change. I mean, a flood would probably be your biggest you know, concern as far as changing the deer movement. Um, you know, and what Mike and Owen both just said is it's pretty much the conclusion we talked about because, you know, you had made the mention there's no deer on camera or they haven't been. And I was like, well, what was the time in between that previous front that you got the photos? And you said, ah, it was about a week. And I was like, if he's going to do it, maybe it's today. Hmm. And I remember you're like, all right, I'm getting off the phone. Talk to you later. Leave me alone. <laughs> And he just like jetted off the phone and well, that's when yeah. it happens. Yeah. So when they're, when we're talking about a jungle, I mean, this is, like I said, a river bottom type piece. It's a lot of willows, um, the willow thickets that are almost like if you ever seen a, you know, videos of bamboo forests, it's like, you know, uh, trees stacked super tight together. And, you know, these deer just, have so much cover that they can uh, kind of be in. And so it makes for a great piece. And so this this spot that, that we've been hunting, it had, um, you know, one of those big willow thickets, about a, I'd say about an acre in size, somewhere along those lines, a big chunk where, where deer could definitely hold up in right next to a nice little flat, about an acre in size as well of, of uh, bur oak trees. Um, not super tight, they're kind of scattered around, but enough that it would be a nice draw for deer and they were i mean I've, i'm sure everyone's heard that you know this year these acorn that the trees are producing tons of acorns this year and uh, that's the case in this spot and 
you know, so it, it sets up perfectly. And so, you know, we were, I was thinking, you know, going into it, it's just going to be a matter of time. I just got to put my time in to hunt this spot. Uh, thanks to Josh for convincing me to go back out there um, or talking me through it at least. Anyway, so we... Nice. I felt so bad about it when we got out <laughs> No, it, it ended up um, making something happen, that's for sure. So we we go back out there. It's, we I, I did go, um, I think it was the day before season started and, and went in that area. It was a nice windy day, hot and whatever, midday, and walked out an access path. There's like a little clearing where you could walk through and kind of not walk through the main river bottom where a deer could potentially bed. And so it, it, it ended up working out really nicely as far as access from that standpoint. And we were following that same exact access point in and out every single time. And so I feel like that little bit of consistency, thinking back on it, you know, was good from the standpoint of like, you know, not just walking through the whole piece, just sticking to that same route and, uh, and, and doing it that way. But we, we make our way in there, you know, it's windy and everything, the front blowing through and get in set up cleanly ended up sitting on the ground. I brought, um, I brought my stand in and actually just carried it in halfway and left it. Cause I was going to sit the following morning at another spot, um, just around the corner from that. And just didn't, just didn't feel like, uh, sitting a stand that night for whatever reason. And so we get set up on the ground. It was a spot that I'd scouted in the past, found that it was, you know, decent, there's decent cover around, um, it was a little thicker actually when we went and hunted it than when I'd previously scouted it. So, you know, wasn't really expecting that, but either way we made a good setup. And from there on, we had a pretty much terrible hunt. You know, I didn't see a single deer. It was, I was just hemming and hawing with Dragos about like, man, this is, I'm sorry for dragging you out here. Gosh, gosh why did I listen yeah. to you? Yeah. But, um, anyway, so we're sitting there and was it 15 or so minutes before light just glassing just looking around you know it's that prime time you're you're definitely on higher alert and um ended up spotting that buck that six by five the one that i had been getting pictures of consistently um through september up to that point not the not the other one that popped up spotted him well first i just spotted a body with its head down tell it was a deer obviously and it was clearly feeding on the acorns then he picks his head up. I was like, yep, no mistake in that one. He's got a really long G3 on his left side that's kind of curly and or wavy almost. And so he's, he's just super easy to spot. Anyway, so I was like, there he is, Dragos. You know, he's he's right there at 50 yards. And so he's in no hurry at all. You know, he's just munching on acorns. You can hear him. It's It had calmed down at that point, so you can hear him cracking on the acorns, which I, I, I love. I just, you know, just hearing that sound or – even I've gotten close enough to hear, you know, deer breathing and things like that, or like, you know, sniffing the ground or whatever. I just, I think that stuff is cool. But anyway, so he's, he's chilling out there at, at 50 yards and um, slowly working his way towards us. And it's getting to about 10 minutes before legal shooting light. And um, he's down in this little spot where we had been set up the previous cold front. So about, you know, a week or so before in a tree. And so really, if we had, I had just brought the stand all the way in and sat there. He would have been right underneath us at 10 yards, of course, but that's how it goes always. But um, <laughs> he ends up just hanging out in that little area. It's this little clearing 
right next to all the oak trees. And so the acorns are just falling in and they have this area just matted down where they've, all these deer have been clearly just hammering the, the acorns. So he's hanging out there. And then I have my bow in my hand the whole time for whatever reason, just look back to Drago's, make sure he's good to go. And we're communicating this whole time. And um, then I look back to where he's at and I don't see him. I'm looking and then all of a sudden I hear a stick break and he's coming right up behind us. And there's basically a little lane. We were, we were, if I'm facing where he was at, we were set up to shoot this way to the left and he was um, coming in from the right. And so he was going to basically backdoor us, but there was a, a little lane to the right where I could shoot. And I had actually, while he was sitting there eating acorns, I actually ranged it. Uh, there's just a little dead tree where, you know, just thinking on the off chance he, he walks up there, I could, you know, I have that already ranged and ready to go. So sure enough, that's exactly what he does. Ends up going behind the tree. Well, this is five minutes before legal light with plenty of leaves on the trees and everything. And so it's dark at that point, not dark enough to where, you know, it's totally unreasonable to shoot. I felt, um, but definitely getting darker and, he's coming up and you know just kind of walking slowly but at a good pace and I he gets behind that dead tree and I stand up thinking that that's going to be my best opportunity to shoot him and he's going to end up right there at about 20 yards and that's that's what I uh, had ranged that dead tree at he's behind it and so I kind of misjudged the situation as far as um, thinking that you know, he's basically in line with that ends up being a little bit further at, at about 24 I think is what we measured it at um, he stops naturally. I take a shot and, um, you know, hear a loud pop, hear a loud thud, um, almost like a diaphragm hit. You, I've heard it plenty of times in videos and that's what it sounded like to me, um, off the bat. That was my first thought. And he runs off, um, stops at about 20 or 30 yards in this little opening, this little gap in the trees that I can see through, looks back over his left shoulder and just stares in the direction of, of us for about 20 or 30 seconds. Kind of hunches up a little bit. Um, I've seen deer hunch a lot more when they're injured a lot, uh, a lot more, but, you know, clearly was like in pain a little bit and walked off. Um, I was able to watch him through that little gap in the trees, walk off for about 60 yards, 70 yards or so had a slight limp to him, you know, whatever, because clearly, clearly in a little bit of pain. And so um, from there on, you know, just lost him or whatever. And, you know, at that point, I, I knew that off of that reaction, he's not just lethally hit long shot. Perfect. Obviously, like you, that's pretty obvious to know. But I definitely hit him at the same time. And so we call Josh and Rye, um, get him on a on, on a group call and some kind of I explain the situation to them. And, uh, you know, of course you're me specifically, I shake like no other. I mean, I shake so bad and get, you know, really hopped up on adrenaline. And so I'm, I'm, you know, freaking out and full of emotions and everything. And this is one thing that I really appreciate about this team is having guys that are really knowledgeable that I'm able to consult with and, um, you know, talk these things through and being in that moment, it was like a blessing in the fact that they were there with a clear mind. And I was of course, just losing mine. And, uh, and they kind of 
you know, their initial reaction after explaining it was hold the phone. Let's probably just back out. Don't even worry about going to look for the arrow. It's not going to do you any good at this point, knowing his reaction and just, you know, take your time getting out, make a loop around and just try to be as quiet as you can in case he just went and bedded down real close and he's right there and you don't want to, you know, obviously get him up. So we did that. We ended up going back to Rye's house and Josh was nice enough to make the drive all the way out um, and uh, and meet us there. And so we, we go over the footage and basically I, I had obviously stood up, like I said, and was able to see enough of him to shoot. Now there was canary grass, just, just some um, grass at about maybe knee level on me that he was in and, but definitely not, not quite enough to just cover his whole body and make it feel like totally uncomfortable to shoot. But at the camera's level, he's, he's sitting, Dragos is sitting down and the camera's at about knee level for me at maybe a little bit higher. And so the, the shot is pretty much straight on and basically all of his vitals are covered by the grass. And so we get back and, you know, we had, we had looked at it in the field and you just can't really tell on the camera screen what quite what it looks like but we get back to to rise and we're looking at it and you can't see anything you can't see impact you can't see anything i could see the arrow in a couple frames just flying through the air um, before it actually you know right after i shot basically Um, but other than that nothing not no grass parting no anything and so we're basically going in blind as as if we had never even filmed it from the standpoint of knowing where the impact was Um, so we just decided to play it on the safe side, you know, wait the full 12 hours till the next morning. Um, and at the very least, we just wanted to go in right at first light, look at the, the impact site, um, where the, try to find the arrow and try to find some blood where he had stopped about 20 yards up and just kind of make a game plan from there. So we get there, uh, don't find the arrow at first. You want to say something? No, I was going to say, I mean, we really weren't basing it 12 hours. And I think we weren't necessarily going in blind. I mean, we were going off of what every hunter, and that's where I think there's some value here, is like there's so much importance to follow the animal with your eyes and see what mm-hmm. they do. You know, because even though we didn't have the arrow, we could rule out a lot of things based on what you saw. We know it wasn't a hard shot. We know it wasn't a lung shot. And... You know, so now all of a sudden, you know, the mentality is treat it worst case scenario. And if it was a gut shot, I mean, 12 hours is still probably not a guarantee that they're going to be dead by any stretch. You know, we're we're treating it as potentially a little gut. And, you know, going in the next day, it wasn't to track the deer. You know, it was to find the arrow. There was two spots. Find the arrow and see where the animal was when you saw him stand. Because in Iowa, you can use a tracking dog now. You know, and so it was like, if we couldn't deduce anything from those two things, we're still not tracking, you know? So I just wanted to be clear to the viewer, like, or the listener, I should say, 12 hours was not like, oh, he's dead by then. Let's go and just go, you know, see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty calculated. So, yeah, we were just wanting to go in there and kind of feel out the situation more or less, just see if we could find, see if we could basically get any more information about it and make a plan from there essentially. So. We, you know, walked up, didn't find the arrow initially, um, and ended up just going up to that spot where he had stopped. 
and didn't find a single drop of blood from there um, at that at that point. And so went back, looked around for the arrow some more, ended up finding it, and it was mostly buried. It was it it, it had been a clean pass through went a good, I don't know, five, six yards, would you say, Josh, like past where he was at, maybe even a little bit more. And yeah. Um, yeah. was was buried most of the way under the under the dirt. And so the majority of the arrow was wiped off. There was there was no signs of anything on it, except for the fletchings. The fletchings just had a little bit of blood. Didn't have that greasy feel that you get with a gut shot or that stink you get. And so a little bit perplexed by that but also, you know, still thinking that worst case scenario and, and, um, you know, just want to play, still play it safe. So made the decision to just back out and, um, get a dog, you know, like Josh said, knowing that that's legal now and, and everything that you have that at your disposal, I, I wanted to do what I could to make a clean recovery. And I felt like a tracking dog would be better than going through that and that willow that you know that river bottom mess that and tromping through there potentially kicking them up you know all these things wanted to just play it safe so ended up just leaving uh giving him a bunch more time got a hold of a tracking dog um a nice guy from not too far away and he was available to meet that afternoon and so by that point by the time we ended up heading back out there to the public it was about 20 hours after the shot at that point and so, you know, he was saying a gut shot, you know, generally you want to wait about 18 to 24 is what he was saying. And a couple other people had said, and, um, you know, I think we were in that range and, and felt safe enough to at least go give it a shot, go, go proceed forward and at least try to find some blood, find, find some sort of sign to point us in the right direction. So got out there with him. It's about a mile walk in there and he didn't seem too happy about having to do that, but he was, uh, he's, he's a great guy, super helpful and everything. We get back there and start the track and still don't find any blood at all. And, um, no sooner do we get three hours into the track when we're just like scratching our heads, like, man, like, how are we not finding anything? No blood, no beds, no anything, no sign of anything. And, um, you know, he had, he had other things to do. And so he, he had to take off and, you know, I felt like at that point we probably would have found something if we were going to find him. Um, and so, you know, felt confident at that point that, you know, either he was alive or he was just completely off the map or something. So, um, you know, at that point and ended up heading out at about 6 p.m., 5 or 6 p.m. And that was kind of you know, that point where, where we hit, where we were like, man, not really sure what else we can do at this point, you know? So from, from that point on, you know, I've been obviously monitoring cameras, hoping that he shows back up. Um, we went out a couple times now looking for buzzards. I didn't go through there and just go grid search it on the chance that he is still alive. Um, you know, hopefully he, he, he is, and he shows back up and that will obviously be a huge sigh of relief, but, um, didn't want to just potentially go in there and push him out basically, um, after doing a grid search. So yeah, well, here we are. I'm, uh, I mean, it's definitely a bummer, you know, it's it, at the end of the day, it's one we worked hard for. It's dragging Dragos in there every day, mile in mile out, 
and hanging sets and sweating and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, we had the opportunity. It was the deer read the script at the end of the day. It was exactly what you would want. Just, uh, just didn't, didn't end up working out. So going to still, you know, hold out hope that we can somehow find him, whether it's dead or alive and, um, kind of keep everybody updated going forward, but that's pretty much where we're at now. So that's a tough situation, Gavin. I mean, obviously we've all been there. Um, hopefully, like you said, hopefully it was just a low hit or something, a flesh wound and duck the arrow down and, you know, he'll show up on camera here shortly and you can keep chasing him. And if not, if it was truly like your story of hitting him and how he walked off and hunching up, it does make it sound like it's a back hit. So, right. you know, if that is the case and he's not up on camera in the next few weeks, we should all go get in there and try to locate him and see if we can't find him. But yeah, yeah I mean, is there anything you now you've had some time to think about it and, and uh, anything you do different or, or uh, takeaways or things like that? Yeah, I think one of the bigger things, and it's funny because I was actually obviously editing um, Owen's kill right after the situation happened. And, um, you know, one of the things he mentions in his closing interview of the first encounter with Loch Ness the day before he ends up shooting him is, you know, he had him at 55 yards or so, I think is what you said, and didn't feel like taking a shot would be worth it because in in your experience, when you had taken – shots in, in low light in the past that was generally when you had made a majority of bad hits or something along those lines and of course i i'm editing that after the fact and i'm like man and uh that definitely sat there and thought about that one for a second and so you know i i for sure had enough light to still see my pins um still see the deer clearly but at the end of the day you know, in, in, in that low light of a situation, you're, you're aiming for body. You can't really pick a spot and aim small, miss small, as they say, and just try to and, and get it, get it exactly where you want it. And so that's basically the situation I was in. I was just aiming for body and, and, you know, hoping that it hit right. And, you know, I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I've taken away from this is, you know, at the end of the day, like, you can't, you, you don't want to just like take a, take a shot to just take it. I'm not, I don't think I forced anything necessarily, but it could have been one of those situations where it's like, ah, just let him, just let him go. You know, if I, if I was in that situation again, knowing what I know now, probably would have just let him go and hoped that, cause he, he had no idea we were in the world. I mean, he had no idea we were there. And so definitely a great chance that he, we could have gotten another crack at him in that same little area in, in a better uh, scenario as far as light and everything is concerned. So that's probably my biggest takeaway, you know, otherwise at the end of the day, I feel like we did everything right after the fact, you know, being able to watch him was super important to read his body language and everything and make a good assess, a decent assessment from there. But between backing straight out, not pushing in to try to retrieve the arrow excuse me, find any blood or anything like that, backing straight out, going to assess the situation, especially because we had footage um, and getting ended up getting a dog, things like that, like doing everything we can in the first place, rather than like after the fact to recover this deer cleanly. I think we, I think we did do a good job of that. 
making the right moves along along the way after the shot, knowing how it all went down. But um, at the end of the day, just you know, probably was something like a low hit, being a little further than what I ranged, what I expected. Um, you know, I think that the odds are that it was a lower hit and probably a good chance that he's alive. So those are probably my biggest takeaways, um, or I guess the one takeaway plus comfortability in the fact that we did pretty much everything right. So, Yeah, I think another good point you could make too, Gavin, is maybe you didn't make a good shot, but you took a good shot. There's so much to be said for that. Yeah. You can you can play that over in your mind a million times. If you take a good shot, I can I could rest easy with that. Maybe things didn't go the way you wanted, but there's a lot of bad shots you can take that we all know, terrible angles, you know, and levels of darkness. We've all got to decide, you know, what's too dark for us or our eyes or whatever. So you brought up a good point there as well. Anytime I've made a bad shot, it's almost always been in low light. And so, you know, we all got to be thinking about just because you can see the deer, you can see a dark object. Should we be taking that shot? You know, and I'm not saying that in your case, it looked like pretty good light, but I know I've been there a lot of times. I'm sure we all have. So good points. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I, I, I was just telling Gavin in the blind today how I've recently just been go out at last light in my yard. I'm shooting at a target with a white dot where I can actually see it and how hard it is to group tightly where I'm like, I can see my pen, I can see the white dot. And you would think like, I should be able to drill these in there and you're floating. And so your group expands. And so even whenever you think, you know, this, this is good. I can see my pens, I can see the deer. And you're trying to figure out, well, why, why did I not make a good shot? Like, it's not that it's so dark, you can't see him or you're just shooting at a blob right. or whatever, you know, that's a different situation. So like, it looks like it's a good shot, but it ends up being there's a higher error rate with it because of that low light and uh i think it's fascinating i mean i i keep i keep practicing and thinking man what the hell i should be able to hit better right here and it's uh, so it, it definitely makes you want to you have these experiences it makes you want to pull back and be like let's let's live to fight another day you know but um yeah like you said hopefully he shows back up and you can keep chasing that would definitely be the ideal scenario for sure but we will definitely see i mean if anything, he's, there's a great chance he shows up this upcoming weekend, not this one, but the following. So getting into that last few days of October, I mean, the weather front is looking prime, prime time of year and everything. So you would think in a perfect world, that's that's when he's going to be on his feet. Um, but we'll just have to see. Maybe it'll be before that. Maybe it'll be after that. But we'll see. So we'll be looking for that update. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to go through another phone call and not wait to get him on camera again. Just go camera. <laughs> no, your your saying of like, you know, don't don't wait for the camera, be the camera is, is a great one. And that's part of that's that's one thing that definitely made me want to go back in there is like at the end of the day, people rely nowadays so much on cameras and I find myself doing it all the time. Like you just get sucked into like, oh, I got the picture of him here, I got the picture of him there, or didn't. And you just base all your information off of that rather than just going in when the time is right. You, you're confident in the, in the setup, confident in your access, confident in, you know, the deer being there regardless. Like at the end of the day, a trail camera only collects data in a 10 yard about, I don't know, 80, 90 degree area. Like it's not, <laughs> right. or not more than, more than that, maybe like 
120, 150 degrees, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not a big yeah. area. It, and, uh, you know, you, you just can't rely on that. And so that's a big takeaway too, for sure. It's just go and hunt the right times regardless. Like sure. There was the risk of bumping deer out of there and, you know, things of that nature, but you know, the timing is right. And he did it exactly what you would want, which was, which was awesome to see. I mean, at the end of the day, you can, you can be proud of that, of like, we did everything. We didn't bump him on the way in. He came out, he presented a shot. I mean, what else can you really ask for? So. Yeah. yeah I, th- I think that's a perfect example there, Gavin is, is don't wait for that daylight picture when you have changing weather. Yeah. Fine. If it's been 80 degrees all week and you know, there's no change, Maybe you wait to get a daylight picture, but it doesn't make sense when you have these cold fronts come in, these big weather changes. That's when you're going to get your daylight picture. Mm-hmm. So why not be there? You know, like like Josh said, be the camera. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many mature bucks daylighted that sixth and the seventh when that cold front came in. When I went back and checked cameras, I'm like, oh, he daylighted, he daylighted. They all daylighted. And so mm-hmm. if you're not out there, it just makes no sense. Yeah. And that 14th, that, that cold front that you were hunting. I mean, I was in this RV cold, the heater wasn't working. I'm in the grand Canyon just, and there go cooking. And I'm like, Oh, DK's in daylight. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, what's going on in Iowa? God dang it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were, we were, there was no front in Utah. It was just like clear, beautiful, sunny. And, uh, then I got the tornado alerts in Iowa and I was like, Oh, there's some weather moving through there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, mister. Yeah, Gavin, as my good buddy would say, Kyle Karcher, don't doubt the scout. It's true. And it's, I mean, that is the one thing that, like, outside looking in, getting to watch this whole scenario, it's like, I don't think you're as surprised as you probably are letting on that it came together. I mean, you spent a lot of time on that piece of property. You spent a lot of time looking at those maps and, I mean, it's just 99% there. And like, I, I left a comment on your daily blog. It's like, there's nobody more that deserves it. And I know when you finally, when it does happen, we're all going to be right there on that recovery, you know? And that's, that's my biggest thing, you know, it's like, it's time to let it go. I mean, it's like good that it bothers you, you know, Owen and I, and you were talking about that earlier, but like, you know, I think it can really probably consume you in ways that, don't help the next situation. So um, I know it's easier said than done and being where I'm at, but you know, it's just, I think there's a mental aspect to it of like, just acknowledge it, learn from it. And you know, the next time you're just that much more prepared. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I mean, like you said, you did everything right and it just didn't really work out. And um you know, obviously, if guys have questions about the the hunt or your thought processes to where you're hunting, they can find you on the daily blog in the comments section. But uh, big cold front coming up. I'm very excited to get home, see what uh, what happens. So it's going to be a good one. We're starting to get close to those days when the mature bucks are going to be out nudging does around. So you're starting to get both sides of it, not just the mm-hmm. cool weather they're out feeding, but when you start adding both of those together, stuff's going to start hitting the ground, you know. Magic. Can't wait. I can't wait to get back to Iowa, dear. I'll tell you. He's, I just uh, got to kill one before Owen kills a second one. I can't get far <laughs> behind. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time I've ever been in this position. I'm leading the race. Yeah, Peace man. 
you blow my doors off usually. <laughs> <laughs> October 7th. That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm excited for everybody. I'm excited to hear the encounters. I'm excited for the next podcast. And, uh, you know, these encounters are going to start piling up. And, um, boy, it's going to be a fun couple of weeks here. Yep. Yeah, hopefully on the next podcast, I can have a good ending to this trip in Georgia. We've had some awesome hunts down here at uh, Real Tree Farms. Thankful for Tyler Jordan's invite. And it's, I think there's going to be some things I'd be cool to share because, I mean, Mike, you know, I know you grew up in Louisiana and hunting there. I'm sure it's similar, but it is very different hunting. And I feel like I'm hunting the, the top tier, you know, place in Georgia. And I feel like it is just a world of difference to Iowa. These animals are, they're just different. I don't even have a better word for it. They are twitchy and scared of everything and a lot smaller body size. And it's just been a very, this was in a very eye-opening experience. It'd be cool to talk about. Very, very thankful for it. So I think a lot of Southerners would probably agree with you. Yeah. No, I, I man, it's been it's been a good time. So Gavin, appreciate it, sir. That's yeah, not easy to talk about. I know that uh <laughs> but it's a lot of relatability there, whether yeah, you know, at the end of the not. day, hopefully somebody can at least learn something from it. I know I learned a ton from it and um you know got to keep your head up i guess that's what everybody yeah. says at least so yeah apply it to the next one yeah you're getting right. better well been there we're all in different stages of the process but yeah and oh and good luck finding finding the one you want pinning them down i'll be after him i've got <laughs> one picked out so far so that's good keeping tabs on him oh yeah <laughs> i love it yeah well we appreciate you guys joining this podcast with us tonight here on After Hours. And Gavin, best of luck on this cold front. See you on the deal. Owen, we'll be waiting to hear that the second tag is ready for a recovery. And Mike, DK is going to daylight and you're going to be there. It's going to happen, man. Visualize <laughs> that. Believe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, have a good night. Thank you, guys. you guys. And to end this, one thing that we'd like you to do is if there's any specific questions that you'd we like to do a Q&A moving forward to end these, you know, sessions. So if there's any topics, any questions that you guys have that you'd like the guys to discuss and, you know, dive into more, please drop it in the comments section. Otherwise, we'll catch you on the next one.